Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon, here with, I just, I'm telling you guys, I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation, man. Been geeked about it for uh, for a couple of days. Um, I'm going to introduce to you guys an award-winning editor, or writer, editor, and journalist uh, who uh, lives in Washington, D.C., takes a lot of pride, uh, according to his website, in his lovely wife, and uh, his words, the world's greatest golden retriever. But he's a, a fellow at the University of Texas, a former adjunct professor at Georgetown University, his work has appeared in the Washington Post, the Washingtonian, ESPN, the magazine, USA Today. Uh, just really a, a accomplished gentleman. So glad to have on the show with us today, Patrick Ruby. Patrick, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And it's not just my words as the world's greatest born retriever. It's legitimate science behind that statement. <laughs> <laughs> By which I mean I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning him as well. Uh, most definitely we're uh, we're all about family here and i myself man am, am married uh, it actually is uh, three years this month and uh congratulations yes married yes life is good and i just had my first child four months ago man so i'm excited Even bigger congratulations yes yes my friend i'm impressed that you're here talking to me and not stealing some extra sleep so <laughs> good on you but we um today and as you guys know i i, I talk often i'm very passionate just about um, college athletics and just how much of a of a scam uh, it's it's turned out to be and I'm, I'm really glad just to have a gentleman here who has spoken so passionately and uh, about you know the NCAA and about some of its uh, controversial practices and incidentally today we're going to talk about the commission on college basketball which uh, henceforth I will be calling the commission about nothing so that's but just to give uh, the uh, listeners some perspective, the Commission on College Basketball was established by the uh, NCAA Board of Governors, uh, Division One Board of Directors, and the NCAA President. So, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of integrity there. Wink, wink, all that good stuff. Um, to, uh, in their words, fully examine critical aspects of Division One men's basketball. So, what ended up happening is they established um, this group. Uh, the uh, the chairman or, or chairperson was uh, Condoleezza Rice. Some big names on on, on that or um, on that. Uh, commission to include Grant Hill, David Robinson, but um, there were some uh, some recommendations that came back. Uh, there was a recommendation to uh, end the one and done rule, uh, potential lifetime bans for you know rule uh, breakers or uh, like habitual line steppers, and changes to the relationship between the NCAA and apparel companies. I just want to ask you because I had a chance to um, I, I follow uh, Patrick on Twitter, and you had made some comments at the time in terms of the. Uh, the recommendations, and I just want to ask you: Upon hearing uh, Miss Rice's report, uh, what were your thoughts on the recommendations and on the commission? Well, I think your your title for the commission, the commission on nothing, is essentially correct. I think you actually understand the gist of what it was and what it's doing. Um, look, this commission was formed in the wake of the ongoing FBI investigation, some would say scandal, uh, into college basketball, and specifically into college basketball's underground economy. Which simply means, into, we're really, again, in plain English, uh, players and their families uh, are getting paid under the table. A bunch of middlemen are inserting themselves to make those payments and taking their own cuts. And the money is coming, as far as we know for now, generally for shoe companies. Uh, in some cases, 
uh, sort of directly working with or communicating with the schools and the coaches. In other cases, it's unclear. But nothing that we haven't known for decades in terms of how college basketball works. Um, we all know that these players have a lot of value because it is a billion-dollar industry. They are the on-court workforce. Uh, they're the reason people tune in and watch. If you want to win and get the glory and get the audience and get the money and put out a good entertainment product, you need good players. Um, so, you know, there's that's how you get good players. Um, and especially the case because I'd say rules, you are limited to what you can offer those players over the table. Uh, amateurism says we can give you a scholarship, room and board. Now we can give you a stipend. Uh, and there's various like little bits and prize monies and exceptions that sometimes you can get, you know, but for the most part, uh, it's limited to that. Um, and we can get into all that in a minute. Um, but I think it was important to know that and set the table because this commission was created as a response to that. And unfortunately, you know, their first order of business before they ever sat down to figure out how can we address what's happening here is they're told you're not going to be allowed to consider changing amateurism. That's not on the table. So essentially, the cause of this underground economy, the cause of this black market, the cause for the FBI to be sticking its nose in the college basketball, you can't actually address that. But now sit down with all these people and figure out how to fix this. So you see, there's already kind of a contradiction there, right? Yeah. If, if my air conditioner is broken and I bring it over to my place and I say, make things cooler in here, but you can't touch the AC unit. <laughs> what are you going to end up doing? You're going to end up like buying a bunch of bags of ice and dumping it on me or something. You're not going like, to solve the problem. Right. And that's kind of what I think is happening here. Um, in their report, they say, quote, college basketball is a toxic mix of perverse incentives to cheat, unquote. That's not really true. <laughs> There's one incentive to cheat it's not really perverse. It's that schools want to win and they have to get the most talented players to do so. And they're competing for those players. And since they're not allowed over the table to compete by offering competitive levels of salary, which is how everybody else in America competes for talent, they have to do it under the table. So again, I disagree with the idea that's perverse. I do agree. There's an incentive. The commission was specifically told to not be able to deal with that incentive. And the only reason it's cheating is because the NCAA makes the rule. The NCAA's rule is the incentive to cheat. So there's a lot of sort of circular logic going on here. Um, so, I mean, overall, I think with the commission, what it recommended is what you could expect given the limitation that was put on it from the start. I think, that, I mean, that that's an awesome assessment. And the analogy with the AC, I mean, that's, that's genius. And it's a great way to put it. I didn't. I mean, I, I had gone through the report, but I didn't know that they couldn't actually deal with the the actual idea of, of amateurism, which actually leads in, in, into my next question, um, because the the first thing that they talked about was, uh, you know, and this was, you know, the thing that, you know, alarmed me is they recommended an end to the one and done rule. And it seems to me right. that, that the focus on that rule, in my mind, is an attempt to shift away conversation from the elephant in the room, which is paying the players. Why does the NCAA refuse to have that conversation? Well, I mean, look, the NCAA is being sued in federal antitrust court now uh, over its amateurism rules. It was sued previously in the Ed O'Bannon case and lost, but the federal judges were on, 
They were willing to say what you're doing violates antitrust rules because it obviously does. Yeah. But they were not willing to then impose a remedy, which is stop doing it. Because the judges sort of split the difference. Because basically, I mean, again, without getting into all the technical legal arguments, you can go and read the decisions, both by the Judge Claudia Wilkin and then by the, the appeals judges in that case. And it's extremely clear they just didn't want to press the red button, that they are afraid of changing college sports, which is how the NCAA has sort of defended itself in court forever. For a long period of time, if you go back and look at the case history of athletes and others trying to challenge amateurism, right? Because it's, uh, under antitrust law, again, without getting too technical, it's very clearly a violation of antitrust law. No other employers in America can get together who otherwise would compete for employees or for talent and say to each other, hey, we're all going to agree to only pay everyone so much. So, like, everyone who might employ a software programmer in Silicon Valley, Apple, Google, Facebook, Snapchat, they can't get together and say, we're going to cap their salaries at $100,000 a year. If they did that, they would save a lot of money. They'd also get sued in court. They would lose. It would be a violation of the Sherman Act, and they would have to pay really big damages. Um, But you can do that in college sports because you can call people amateurs. And for a very long time, that was enough. Before the O'Bannon case, that was enough. When they got challenged in court, the judges would literally just say, and again, this is not a technically legal argument, but this is what they are actually saying, you know what, amateurism is enough justification, case dismissed. Finally, with O'Bannon, that changed. The incident was put on trial, they had to submit evidence, they had to sort of prove under antitrust law that while we have this restriction on athlete compensation, there are legitimate reasons under the law for us to have it, what's called pro-competitive. Without getting into again, all the legal details, they put forth a series of arguments, and basically all of them were shot down in that trial. So that's what I mean by the judges found it illegal and yet didn't want to press the button for the proper remedy, which is, hey, stop doing that. They've got another case coming, like I said. It's often referred to as the uh, Kessler case. Jeffrey Kessler is the lead lawyer on it. He is the guy who brought free agency to the NFL. He's a pretty fearsome antitrust and sports litigator. It's actually the Jenkins case because it's named after uh, Martin Jenkins, who is a Clemson football player. He's one of the co-plaintiffs on it. That hits close to home. Yeah, that's that's coming up in December. So the NCAA obviously is is sweating that out. Um, There are probably more challenges to come. There's other ways that they're being challenged on this. Uh, you know, the public's opinion is turning on this slowly but surely. Uh, you see uh, legislators, people here in D.C. and other places starting to ask why the NCAA is allowed to do this. Um, it's under a slow siege, essentially. And so the last thing they want to do is tell their commission, oh, yeah, open the door to this. Consider this. They don't want their own commission making recommendations that could be used against them in court or the court of public opinion. Um, and on top of that, obviously, they've got a good deal going. If you're in charge of the NCA, if you're in charge of the athletic department, if you're a coach, if you're anyone who is kind of on the gravy train of big-time college sports, this is great. Your labor costs are controlled. So as your money from coming in from the TV networks, the ticket sales, the merchandise sales, the jersey sales, and everything else, the sponsorships, keeps going up, and it has exploded in the last 15, 20 years, and you get to keep your labor costs, that is, for the players, fixed, what do you get to do with all extra money? Well, you get to build fancy buildings and you get to pay yourself more. That's a pretty good deal. There's no line of business where the people in charge, if they're collecting more, are going to give that up without a fight. So that's kind of the backdrop to all of this. 
that and, and uh, you mentioned Clemson, and I was just gonna say Clemson's about two hours from here. So when I was saying it, it hit it close to home. It was it's exactly that. You have folks around here who, you know, will fight over you know South Carolina versus Clemson and you know different different things like that. But you uh, you made another uh, another point about the uh, basically you know like the eighties and you know those guys paying themselves more. But then you know the building fan, you know fancy uh, buildings and a, a lot of folks want to talk about well oh man look at the facilities and look at the resources not understanding you know that those resources are, resources are built on the backs of players that's um, right. That's right they'll talk about it as if look at all these benefits we're providing a player look at this benefit you've got like world-class coaching you get this like nice facility with like a you know a barbershop and a lazy river flowing outside <laughs> and you get like to fly to your games on like nice airplanes and stuff and it's like yeah that's not a benefit that's part of your job like when I, for work, have to fly somewhere to report a story, that doesn't count as pay if the place I'm working for pays for my flight. Right. That's part of what I need to do to do my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they put me, if they bump me up to business class, I'm not getting a benefit. That doesn't count on my, that doesn't count on my W two or my 1099 at the end of the year. <laughs> it's not a benefit. <laughs> so that's a ridiculous argument. Like world class coaching. Yeah, they want they give you world, they pay for world class coaching because they want to win games. That's also why you're there. Yeah, it's not like it's it's a ridiculous it's it's a ridiculous set. Does that mean a player can't benefit from that? Sure. Again, if I get bumped up to business class or the place I work hires a better editor, yeah, it's more comfortable in business class. Yeah, a better editor might make my story read better, but that's not a benefit to me. That's not like healthcare. That's not like pay. That's something the business is doing to advance its own interest, and tangentially, it might help me. We'll return to making a difference after these messages. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you looking for affordable health care? Are you looking for a pharmacy that you can trust? Well, look no further than Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard here in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. This may be a familiar voice to you. Hey, it's none other than Ken Macon from the hit show Making a Difference. And I just want to tell you about the fine folks over at Medical Villa Pharmacy. They're led by pharmacists Dr. Marshall Curtis and Baron Curtis. And I tell you, they provide great service for many of us here in Augusta, Richmond County. They take Georgia Medicaid, insurance plans, charge cards, WIC vouchers, and they even provide free delivery service. The Medical Villa Pharmacy is conveniently located in the medical district near the Medical College of Georgia and Payne College. Medical Villa Pharmacy. They are dedicated doctors, medical mavens, and a blessing to the health industry. What more can I say but head to Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. Tax problems giving you the blues. Tax liens, levies, garnishments, unfiled tax returns, denied a passport because you owe back taxes. I'm Jesse Willard with your locally owned H&R Block in Hepsiburg. We have over 25 years of experience in representing clients with tax problems, and we can help you to jazz up your life. Contact us at 706-305-1412 to schedule your free consultation. H&R Block, the one you know and trust. You probably thought they only do port trellings and iron doors, but at AAA Iron and Fabrication, they do a whole lot more. They do grills, that's right. They fabricate custom grills for your cookout needs. They forge team-specific iron doors, meaning that you can show support for the Atlanta Falcons, the Georgia Bulldogs, or whichever team you love. Of course, 
They do a top-notch job with the services you are familiar with. They can make your porch look like new with hundreds of styles of railings. And they also provide security and style with window bars. AAA Iron and Fabrication is located at 2517 Deansbridge Road. They've been in business for decades and they take pride in serving the Augusta community and surrounding areas. AAA Iron and Fabrication, they are ready to work for you. AAA Iron and Fabrication, 706-738-8044, 706-738-8044. Tell them you heard this ad on Making a Difference and you'll get 15% off your order. I am Ben Hassan, your commissioner in District 6, and I need your vote for re-election on Tuesday, May 22nd. When I fill the empty District 6 seat in 2014, I approach this office as an opportunity to serve the community and to do my due diligence for my constituents. That has not changed. I take pride in doing my research regarding city business and applying that knowledge in the decision-making process. That type of leadership has led to major decisions such as a funding mechanism for our cyber center investment and fixing infrastructure. My background in media has helped in what I believe is one of the most important tasks for an elected official, that is, listening to and responding to the concerns of the people. This is why it is so important to participate in advanced voting. If you're not able to vote early, please vote on Tuesday, May 22nd for me, Ben Hassan, the incumbent and your District 6 Commissioner, paid for by the campaign to re-elect Ben Hassan. To the residents of District 2 and all of Augusta, I am Dennis Williams, your Commissioner in District 2, and I need your vote for re-election on Tuesday, May the 22nd. When you elected me four years ago, I expressed my frustration with the lack of growth, jobs, and services here in Augusta, Richmond County. While there is work to be done, there are some great opportunities coming to our city. The state of Georgia is investing over $50 million for a world-class cyber range and training facility in Augusta. It is up to myself and my colleagues on the Augusta Commission to make sure that the city is ready for this unique development. For decades, flooding was a major problem in District 2 and throughout Augusta. Now, thanks to the work of the Augusta Commission and city employees, there is a funding mechanism dedicated to drainage. You know about my previous work as the former president of the Augusta NAACP, as well as my nearly 40-year career as an employee for the federal government. The most important thing I can talk about now, however, is the future. That's why we need action, not just promises. This is why I encourage you to vote early. If you can't take advantage of advanced voting, I need your vote on Tuesday, May the 22nd, so that I can continue the work that is needed in District 2. I continue to humbly ask for your prayers, your support, and your vote for me. Dennis Williams, the incumbent, and your District 2 Commissioner, paid for by the committee to re-elect Dennis Williams. Based on, and I'm, this may be redundant, but I just want to ask the, this question just for reference. Um, would you consider the NCAA's refusal to pay players a civil rights issue? Yeah, absolutely it is. I can I completely, 100%. And look, I consider it in two ways. First of all, in a general way, for everyone who's a college athlete, 
you're, you're, you know, you should be protected under the Sherman Act the way the rest of us are. You should be protected by federal law the way the rest of us are. Federal law should be applied to you the same as it is to other college students and professors and coaches and athletic directors and university presidents. It's ridiculous that it's not. So first and foremost, yes, it's a it's a universal civil rights issue. We basically are treating college athletes as separate and unequal class of citizens, at least when it comes to antitrust law. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, secondly, in the more sort of uh, colloquial use of the term civil rights when we're talking about sort of racial injustice in this country, I also think there's an element of that to this because if you look at who is the primary labor force in big-time college sports, it's predominantly African-American young men. And you look at, so their labor is generating this money. And generating the money alongside the school's branding value, like like any place, right? Like the ownership, and you know, management ownership both bring value to the equation. I'm not trying to say that every dollar that college sports generate is 100% generated by the athletes, but their labor makes it possible. You don't have college sports without them out there playing. Their labor is the most important element. Now, they're predominantly African-American, but everyone else that's benefiting from this, the people that are getting to keep the lion's share of the money, are overwhelmingly white. Again, I've written about this. You can look up the numbers. Uh, presidents, athletic directors, coaches, non-revenue sport athletes, all overwhelmingly white. So you, what you have essentially, and again, the system was set up in the era of segregation, so I don't think it was set up intentionally to be racist, um, there were, you know, black athletes in college were mostly confined to HBCUs back then. Again, we were way more racist as a country in general. But fast forward to today, what you have is a system where I don't think anyone in charge is a racist, but you have structural racism in the system because you have these predominantly black athletes being denied their basic economic rights, generating all this revenue, and the bulk of it is going to a predominantly white overseer class. And that is essentially a wealth transfer away from those young black men, away from their families, away from their community. Uh, as someone once told me, Tom Brady's agent once told me, Don Yee, if you flip that around, can you imagine if everyone running college sports was like overwhelmingly black and it was white women's lacrosse players and cross country team and like the white tennis team that were generating all the money because those are the most popular sports and those athletes and their families weren't allowed to keep almost any of it. Mm. We went behind this discussion. <laughs> so there's definitely a racial civil rights element to this. Um, and then we, by the way, we steered far away from the original question, which is what do you think about the one and done stuff and the commission? I agree with you 100% that it's an effort to look away from the elephant in the room. We've just been talking about uh, it's essentially a way of pointing at the NBA and blaming the NBA and the NBA players union, saying you're creating our problem. And without, I don't know if I can, um, I won't, because I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, so I'll just say it's total BS. Oh, I mean, you and, can, hey, speak your mind. That's what... <laughs> yeah, the, reason, the reason it's BS, and this needs to be really clear, and, and, and you know, anyone who thinks about this for five minutes can understand this, but a lot of fans don't think about it for five minutes, is... Their essential argument is like, oh, there's really well, the only guys in college basketball that really have any value beyond the scholarships they're getting are these eight to twelve guys every year who come out of high school and are good enough right away to go to the NBA. Would be would be NBA draft picks. They're the, they're the ones who have all this value. 
And if we just get them out of the system, let them go to the NBA, if the NBA and the Players Association would just allow that to happen, then everybody else in college basketball is only worth their scholarship anyway. And we wouldn't have any more entertainment payments. We wouldn't have any pressures. There'd be no black market because these guys are gaining their value. And that's complete hogwash. You don't have to think that hard to realize it. Think of it this way. If those 10 players who are first-round picks are out of college basketball, does college basketball stop being a billion-dollar business? Do the TV TV companies say, you know what? Does ESPN and CBS and Turner say, "Uh, we were paying you a billion dollars for the NCAA tournament. Now we're going to pay you like 10 million because those 10 guys aren't playing anymore. They had all the value. And are all the fans going to be like, well, we were paying all this money for season tickets, but now we're going to pay you 10% of that because really we just want to see those 10 guys. No, of course not. Nothing's going to change at all. College basketball is going to have the exact same value, which means all those players in the system that are on the court doing the work, they're creating that value. They're still creating that value. The next best guy who isn't quite good enough to be a NBA draft pick as a freshman still has a ton of value to Duke, Kentucky, Arizona, UCLA, Kansas, every school that's trying to win. They still need the best players who are available. And there's still going to be all that money flowing through the system because the fans are still watching and they're still paying for it. So that wouldn't solve anything that the commission is saying it would solve. One and done doesn't make a difference in terms of basketball players having more value than the schools are allowing them to realize. It makes no difference at all. We'll return to making a difference after these messages. Citizens of Augusta, I have a question for the Augusta community and the voters of District 4. Do you want to go backwards or keep going forward? You have a choice. Will you follow special interest groups who want to return you to overgrown retention ponds, snake field ditches, and streets full of potholes? You do have a choice. Will you continue with strong, proven, independent leadership that has achieved so many of the things you needed in your neighborhoods and communities? You must make a choice. Do you want to smell your neighbor's septic tank? Do you want flooding in your streets and neighborhoods? Remember, it is your choice. I am urging you to make the right choice. Choose Commissioner Sammy Sias for re-election as the Commissioner of District 4, Augusta, Richmond County. The choice is yours. I am Commissioner Sammy Sias, and I approve this message. Thank you. Paid for by the Committee to Re-elect Sammy Sias. Beau Hunter is currently serving you as state court judge. He is working hard each day to improve Richmond County. Judge Hunter is proven. He has worked with and for hundreds of families across our community as both solicitor and their attorney. You can trust him to be fair and respectful. He wants to continue to serve you. Vote Bo Hunter for state court judge May 22nd. I'm Judge Bo Hunter and I approve this message. Paid for by the committee to elect Bo Hunter. People of District 2 and the city of Augusta, I am Cleveland Garrison. I am running for a seat of District 2 Commission on Tuesday to May 22nd. I have an important message about the status of District 2. We heard a lot about the so-called growth and the development of our district, but all you have to do is just look around and see the ugly truth. There isn't much development at all. In fact, while you're seeing other areas of our city improve, for the better, we seem to be stuck in 20 years of setback. This is why it is time for a change. I believe I can beat that change. I have worked with the community for years, not only as a pastor, 
but also as a businessman, owner, and entrepreneur. I firmly believe that you must be a man of the people to be a servant of the people. The residents of District 2 have been overlooked, underrepresented for far too long. That is why I need your help. Please get out and vote during the advanced voting period. If you can't take advantage of the advanced voting, I need your vote on Tuesday, May 22nd, so that we can make our collective voice loud and clear. Please vote for me, Cleveland Garrison, the candidate for District 2 Commissioner, paid for by the committee to elect Cleveland Garrison. Man, I mean, this is just, I mean, su such a powerful commentary. Um, you, you talked about I'm that. Fired you, up. Yeah, I know. And I mean, and <laughs> I love it. Uh, as am I. You, you talked about that you once wrote about it. I had a chance to read over it this morning. You wrote for Vice Sports. I can put uh, April 2016. It was called the, um, the Racial Injustice of Big Time College Sports. That was a, if you guys get a chance to sit down and read it, I mean, it, it's, it's a great commentary. What was, what was going through your mind when you were writing it? And I'm sure some of that is applicable even now. I mean, honestly, that, that piece is something I wanted to write for years and years and years. And it's because of studying this issue, learning about the economics of it, learning about the law around it, and what I consider to be sort of the abuse and misuse of the law, uh, learning about the history, uh, and then watching games and caring about athletes. Actually, I actually like athletes. I enjoy them. I want them to do well. Like, they bring me a lot of joy and entertainment. I want to see them realize their value. You know, I want to see their families benefit from that. Like, I think that's a good thing. Like, I appreciate their work and want to see them get their fair reward for it. Um, that's kind of where it came from. And it's very, again, all you have to do is go to some games and start looking around. It's not that hard to figure out, wow, most of the people here that are doing the entertainment work in this sport, they're black. And look, all the people sort of collecting the money are white. It's not yeah. that, again, once you see it, it's impossible to unsee yeah, and and I just it just took time to go then and do the research and put together um, the numbers and put together a coherent case. It's sort of the rough napkin math that I calculated um, in terms of how much wealth is being transferred. Right, that's sort of the big question. Is because of amateurism, how much wealth are black athletes and their families losing out on? Mm. And by the way, white athletes in college sports are also getting screwed. I don't I don't want to sell them short. Right. You know, uh, JJ Reddick also got screwed when he was at Duke. Right. <laughs> Like, like uh, Grayson Allen's getting screwed, but he's been a team. I mean, no, anyone who's in college sports, Johnny Manziel got screwed too, right? It's, so like I said, it's not, it's not universally black athletes and their families. Um, when I say screwed, I should really say exploited. That's the, that's the technical term. That's the technical term. That's perfect. Screwed is the colloquial term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, but I mean, so I did some napkin math, and so essentially, you know, in big-time basketball and football, uh, you know, you're looking, I think, I think it was roughly the estimates are like, you're looking at roughly like 10, 10 billion or so a year industry. That's everything. TV money, merchandising, tickets, uh, like all the money that these the big time schools are bringing in collectively. So pretty big. And when you look at sort of what the total compensation is uh, for the scholarships and the stipends and things like that, it's a, it's a pretty small amount of that. It's essentially about 10% of that goes back to athletes. Now, if you look at pro sports where you're not allowed to violate antitrust law, so you either have total free agency and everyone negotiates wherever they want, or in most cases you have unions negotiating on a collective bargaining agreements with ownership. That in American sports, that's mostly what you have. It's not the same thing in international soccer, but we'll just stick to American sports here. Uh, they negotiate, 
and generally the split is about 50-50. So in college sports, it's like 90-10, 85-15. Pro sports, it's 50-50. That's a big difference. That's a lot of money not going to the athletes that are making it possible. Yeah. So if you calculate sort of the difference there, and then you factor in the percentage of the athletes in those sports, football and, men, you know, and men's basketball, that are black, I figured it was something, I think it was, I had to go back and look, but I think it was, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 billion a year hmm. of wealth that was getting siphoned away. Jesus, man. And just imagine, again, like, imagine what that could do for these guys. Who are coming from low-income families, yeah. For their, for their communities. Again, you're right, because when you're talking about predominantly black athletes, you are talking about, you know, for not all, yeah. but you're more likely to be lower socioeconomic status. Again, you got a long friggin' history in America of exploiting black bodies for money, uh, denying civil rights. Like, there are reasons that if you're black in America, you're much more likely to be lower socioeconomic status through no fault of your own. So, it's almost like even more insulting when you think of it that way. You're, you're actually denying money to people that most need it. And when I say denying money, you're not denying a gift. You're denying money to friggin' earn it through their work. That's what's gross about it. This is not a handout. This is money they're earning by being good and working hard at something. That's essentially what the American dream is. That's essentially what can, if you nobody in America should be more upset about this system than so-called conservatives, by the way. It's a perversion of the free market, and it's literally denying, especially black people, from doing what they're always being scolded to do, which is why don't you just work harder and, and like better your own situation? Don't come looking at the rest of society for a handout and all that, you know, stuff that I think is simplistic and stupid. But but if you believe that sincerely, and a lot of people in America do, then put your money where your mouth is and take up arms with the NCA. Why are you cool with this? You shouldn't be. And this is something nobody thinks about. Those same athletes, and this applies to white athletes too, and it applies to Pacific Islanders, it applies to some Samoan football players I've talked to you about this. Those same athletes, whatever race they are, coming from that disadvantaged background, do you know what helps fund them get through college sports? These college sports that their work is creating all these billions of dollars? Pell Grants. Some cases, food stamps. Mm. Government welfare. It's basically like Walmart. Walmart, excuse me, we actually, we actually, as a society, in some cases with some athletes, this is, by the way, I, I don't want to say his name, this includes a former number one pick in the NFL draft, who's a quarterback, told me this, who was on, had a kid when he was in college, and him and his wife were literally on food stamps, and he was going to be the number one pick. Wow. I don't want to say his name, because I don't know if he's ever come public with it, he might have on Twitter, I just can't remember, um, I can tell you he wasn't, and he wasn't African-American, by the way. This guy was white. Mm. So like I said, this is, this is not just a racial thing. Man. We're subsidizing that as a society only because the NCAA doesn't allow these guys to earn what they're worth. Think about that. Like I said, it's like Walmart. We are subsidizing their injustice. Yeah. We are turning, to use conservative rhetoric that I otherwise don't like, we're turning makers into takers in college sports. It's insane. Let me ask you, um, there's a decided lack of outrage. Um, do you think it's because of the element of fandom or do you think it's because people don't understand um, economic racism or structural racism the way they do, you know, maybe somebody calling somebody the N-word or something like that? Oh, man, great question. I, yes and yes. I think it's all of it. I, I, first of all, in America, absolutely, people 
people don't really understand. They're not taught. I mean, they're honestly, I, I, I don't know anyone in school, unless you get to college and really study it, or you just do it on your own. That gets, gets taught how economic and structural racism works at all. Like, people don't understand how redlining worked in this country. They don't understand how Jim Crow worked outside of, like, oh, you, you know, water fountains and can't sit, sit on the bus, like, which is bad. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but, like, they don't understand how economically it cripples people for generations. Um, they don't understand housing covenants. They don't understand any of that stuff, right? We don't teach that. Um, they don't understand, uh, you're right, like, like, when people think of racism, they just think hatred in the heart, right? It's a very simplistic understanding of it. Like, and it's like, well, I don't, I don't hate black people. I don't see evidence of hatred here. How can this be racist, right? And, and then it's like, that's not a wrong understanding. It's just a limited and incomplete understanding. And the solution to that is just to learn more about how systems work and how things work. Um, but we don't teach that. So yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, I think I do think fandom is a big part of it. You know. At a, at a simple level, I think a lot of people, um, especially fans, right? They love college sports. If you're a fan, college sports works fine for you, right? You're not getting ripped off. Like, you get something to watch. It's fun. So you're afraid if someone comes along suggesting something that would be a major change. You're worried that it's going to change something you love and maybe make it less enjoyable or mess it up, right? I can understand a fan who, who hasn't learned much about this and and you know, just feels like, oh, well, that person's on a scholarship. That's pretty good. I, I couldn't get one of those. You know, seems like a good deal to me. I can understand them being like, why do they need to get paid, right? Or why? And then, by the way, needs are wrong things. Why should they be allowed to negotiate for pay? That's what we're really talking about here. I can understand that. But again, I think it comes from a place of not knowing more. But I think the more you learn, the more you know, the more you will realize, hey, this isn't fair, this isn't right. So I do think education is a big part of this. And look, we're all busy, and the last thing you kind of want to do as a sports fan is sit down to watch Clemson football, and during halftime, pick up a book and, and learn the basics of antitrust law. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't really understand that fans don't really want to care or think about this. But I, I, my counter to that is, if you really do love these athletes, and you love the joy and the entertainment and the community that their work provides to you, and you really do care about them. And you don't just care about them as sort of pixels on your screen or little army men in helmets down the field doing their thing. You know, if you care about them at all as people and you're really truly appreciative of the joy they bring to your life, you should learn about this. You should want them to get a fair deal and a fair shake in their industry and in our society. That should matter to you. Selfishly, it should matter to you. That's what I would say to that. Man. Uh, look, uh, begrudgingly, the, the final thing I want to ask you about, because this has been such a great conversation and, you know, well, we can it, do it, a part two sometime. So <laughs> we would uh, definitely would love to do that. I, I want to talk about respectability politics for a second, because the fact As, that oh, yeah, the fact the fact that we're talking about this and this report, you know, was presented to us by. You know, Condoleezza Rice, an African American woman, and then you have at least it wasn't Bill Cosby. Oh, <laughs> right. Respectability politics gone wrong. Oh my goodness! But then you have you know Grant Hill, David Robinson. When you right. see these faces up here and these individuals who, all of whom have been overwhelmingly successful in their respective fields, to have right. those individuals on this commission, I mean, that just, uh, I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? To have them present this you know, in a way, and to, to present these ideas that are so, um, 
uh, exploitative of right. predominantly black athletes. Well, you know, first of all, I'm disappointed. If I were black, I'd be more disappointed. Um, I think it, again, I think it does speak to the limitation going in on this committee. Now, for any of those people, that the, the way to deal with that would have been to say, I don't want to be a part of this, you know? Yeah. Now, I want to say in fairness to all of them, sometimes, you know, sometimes you work for change by agitating on the outside. Sometimes you decide, I'm going to go into this system if I don't agree with it. You try to work for incremental change within. There are some recommendations in this incremental things that I think are good. Loosening the, the rules about athletes at least being able to talk to agents, for instance. Yeah. Um, they already can do that in baseball. Right, like they should always be able to do that across the board in sports. You know, there's some things that not every recommendation here is terrible anti-athlete. There are some small things that would that would push the ball forward and give athletes a little bit of a better shake. So that could be part of it. If you're a Dan Robinson or or a, you know um, a Grant Hill, like you may you may also feel like you know what better that my voice is in there than not at all. And again, this is getting a little bit away from respectability politics, but I, I do think there's there's merit to that. I've talked to David Robinson personally. He's also on the Knight Commission, okay. which looks at college sports reform. I've personally talked to him outside of those meetings about these issues. Like, he's very on board with, you know, his sons played college football. Right. One of them at Notre Dame. Um, he's very on board with, like, athletes should get more and they should have rights. He's like, I don't know all the answers. I don't know exactly how much. He's like, I haven't studied that much in depth. And he does, like many, he worries, like, if it's too big of a change too fast, that there'll be unintended consequences, which is fair. I disagree with a lot of those, but it's a fair thing to worry about. Um, so I, I don't think, he, you know, he's not a bomb-throwing radical, but he is someone who's sympathetic to that. And I do think the one thing when you saw the commission say, look, um, we're not going to make recommendations on the idea of athletes being able to benefit from their name, image, and, image and likeness right now because that's part of the, some of the pending litigation. But we do think the NCA should at least reconsider that. That's as much as you could have hoped for this commission saying, pay these guys or allow these guys to be paid. That's as far as they could have ever said it. So at least they did say that. Yeah. At least Condoleezza Rice literally said, I don't understand this myself. She actually said, I personally don't understand why they're not allowed to do this. Again, that's as harsh a criticism as she probably would be able to make given the parameters of this. So if she was going to be a part of it and be on board. I think she went as far as she could. Now, I do think there's merit to the argument of saying she should have said, you know what, your whole system's terrible. Screw you. Like, go find someone else to put their stamp on this. But what we know about Condoleezza Rice, that's not really how she operates. It wasn't how she operates in, operated in the, in, the, in the U.S. government, for sure. <laughs> for the first time, Condoleezza Rice has sort of put some, some lipstick on, on some pig policy. <laughs> you know, we, we, really back to the 2000s. we get a lot more serious a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. But, and again, I mean, you know, I, so I think personally, I think it's disappointing. And I do think it does play into respectability politics. I think it was obviously a, a, an intentional move on the NCAA's part. But also good. I mean, it's, again, it's better there's some African American representation on there than none. That would be a disaster. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's very clear they went after people who are not bomb throwers, right? Yeah. But that was their mission from the start. Um, the NCAA is never going to appoint an independent commission that's going to tell the NCAA to burn its own house down. Right? That's not really how these things work. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm torn. You know what I mean? Like, I'm disappointed, but I, I don't know how much it's really fair to criticize people like that. Because um, I knew what they were getting into going in. I think they went as far as they probably could. Um, and, and look, all great change, all great social reform, all great movements, you have to have a mix of insiders and outsiders pushing for it. 
you know. Yeah, well said. Uh, it, you know, it's it's if you go back and look at the history of civil rights movement in the sixties and fifties, it's just, you know, the same kind of mix. Um, it's not great because the problems. I mean, especially there, like the problems are even more serious, and like it demands immediate redress, and it needs to be comprehensive redress. And we never seem to be able to do that. But some redress is better than none, and if you don't have people pushing on the inside, I think generally it gets harder. So it's probably good overall. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I just, um, respectability politics is something that's, that's so important because what I see in terms of what respectability politics does, it creates a divide even within, I would say the larger African-American community. And it divides even, you know, in terms of, um, when I talk about this, the larger African-American community between the haves and the have-nots. So when I see right. Condoleezza Rice, I see Grant Hill, David Robinson, much respect to what they've done, in, like I say, in terms of their careers. But I think you kind of get the sense of this affluence that, you know, that they've just just the sense of wealth. And then they're kind of imparting or not so much imparting, but they're, you know, repeating just some of these talking points of the NCAA yeah, to, you know, to the, to the, you know, lower socioeconomic, you know, uh, where you have the players. And it just... Um, yeah, aesthetically, it doesn't look good. Look, if, if you know if you're if you're one of those people and you're really well to do, and you've made it in America, um, and I'm watching you talk, and I'm basically I and I'm I'm a an athlete or their family who's being denied that value, and these are my prime couple of earning years, and I'm never going to see that again, and I'm being told slow down, wait your turn, uh, we're not going to give you your full rights to earn your full value. You know, just be happy with these small changes. Yeah, I might not be down with that either. I might yeah. not feel too great about that. Yeah, and on a small scale, it's it's kind of like a it's a it's a class warfare thing. It is a little bit. It is for sure. It is. This is definitely a case where you have wealthy interests exploiting largely unwealthy labor, and then telling the labor literally that they're morally wrong for wanting a bigger piece of the pie. That's essentially amateurism and big time college sports in a nutshell. Yeah, and that's but that's also America in a nutshell. That is America. <laughs> it's it's a microcosm of of this country in so many ways, definitely. And um, it is. That's why I write about it. To get to your first question, that's actually why I write about this subject because I do think it is a fun, much like much of the sports world, it is a funhouse mirror of our own larger political, social, and cultural pathologies, obsessions flaws, glories, the whole shebang. Sports, when people say stick to sports, it's like there's no such thing. Like <laughs> Sports encompasses everything else in society. Of course it does. And it reflects them. And sometimes, honestly, the way it reflects it can be extremely clarifying. Mm. So well said. That is why we're, um, I'm calling this the, the commission about nothing. And I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful beyond measure uh, to, have, uh, to have Patrick Ruby uh, on this episode of Making a Difference. Pat, tell the people how they can um, get in touch with you, read your articles, and, and different things like that. Sure. So you can follow me on Twitter, and I'm Patrick underscore Ruby. That's H as in Henry, R-U-B as in boy, Y. Uh, basically, it's pronounced Ruby. It's like the guy who shot Lee Harvey Oswald, but there's an H in front of it. It's all you have to remember. So <laughs> on Twitter, it's Patrick underscore Ruby. Uh, you can also find me online at my website. It's www.patrickruby.net. Uh, lots of my articles are there, including the ones we talked about today. You can also contact me through a contact form. You can hit me up on Twitter, too. Uh, but 
I'm old, so if you use my contact form, it sends me an email. And I'm actually more likely to see an email than I am to see a message on Twitter because I'm old. <laughs> so, so those are ways to get in touch with me. Uh, you can find my work all over the place. Uh, right now, you'll, you'll see some of my stuff uh, probably coming up at Deadspin. Uh, I have stuff on The Athletic. I don't know how many of you out there are subscribers to The Athletic, but definitely check it out. Think about subscribing. I think they may have added a Clemson football writer recently, actually. Oh, very cool. Um, that's, a, that's a new source. Subscription service is taking off in a lot of cities. They've got national college football, national college basketball, national writing. They're growing like crazy. Um, yeah, sports journalism is tumultuous, so... One thing dies and everything is born. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, um, yeah you can find me in other places too, but right now those are kind of the two main places. And uh, get in touch. I love interacting with readers. I love talking to people. I love being on podcasts. Um, I can talk about this stuff all day, honestly, as you can tell. So. I mean, that, that's great. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to take you up on your offer, man, of having a part two, because I, I get the feeling this is a conversation that's going to continue. Um, you know, much beyond today or, or years to come. It's, it's going to always be something to talk about. And it's always going to be great to have, you know, uh, freedom fighters or and conscientious people, you know, speaking to this issue. So, so glad to have you on the podcast, Pat. I'm glad to be here. It was the first time everyone's called me a freedom fighter. I think it's probably not merited, but I'll take it. <laughs> All right. So the episode just ended and you're mad. MAD making a difference, but you're also mad because the episode is over. But here's the deal. The movement continues. It continues on social media and far beyond social media, Facebook, Twitter. You can go to facebook.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference show. And you can keep up with social commentaries. You can also know when the podcasts are coming out. You can also know when our video laws are coming out. And that's the way you can keep up with that is facebook.com backslash making a difference show. You can also keep up with us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is difference making that's d-i-f-f-e-r-e-n-c-e making m-a-k-i-n if you want to follow the soundcloud podcast you can do so by going to soundcloud.com backslash making a difference if you're interested in advertising with making a difference you can shoot an email to making m-a-k-i-n a difference show at gmail.com that's making a difference show at gmail.com thank you so much for your support i love you guys peace and god bless you win perfect